This Memorial Day weekend, some of us will be attending some graduations. Others of us may be celebrating with a church wedding that's happening. Still others may be in your own backyard or maybe your friend's backyard unofficially welcoming summer in, enjoying some food and some friends. But as a nation, we pause to remember. We pause to remember those that have paid the ultimate sacrifice so that we can actually worship here today. Charleston, South Carolina is one of several cities that wants to take claim for being the originators of what we now know as Memorial Day. And they say that in May of 1865, a group of former slaves decided to honor 257 dead Union soldiers that were buried in a mass grave at a Confederate prison camp. And so for two days, these former slaves, they worked. They dug graves, new graves, and they gave these Confederate soldiers a proper burial, a more dignified resting place. And then about 10,000 of them gathered to have a parade. And they were led by 2,800 free black children that sang and danced and marched, giving thanks. And in this one instance, you had two groups of marginalized people, former slaves that had now been given new life, giving dignity to union POWs that were marginalized in their own sense. a final resting place. If you turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, and if you have a blue church pew Bible that is on page 741, there's an account of biblical outcasts finding new life. Luke chapter 17, and I'll be reading starting in verse 11. And this is a story about Jesus. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Now, Samaria became a foreign land when Israel seceded during David's monarchy and Samaria became the capital of a northern kingdom. And then tensions further escalated when they came back after being in exile in Babylon to rebuild the city. And so for generations, until Jesus' time, there was this tension built between these two communities. 
And as he was going, it says, Luke writes, as he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They, they stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests, the only ones that can declare you clean again. And as they went, they were healed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. You like how Luke throws that in there? Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except for the foreigner? Then he said to him, rise. This word, rise, that that early Christians understood to be a word synonymous with being resurrected from the dead. Rise. Live. Live. Get up from your death. Go and live because your faith has made you well. Ritual law pronounced lepers unclean, which in effect was a death sentence in that community. Whatever the leper touched was unclean. The air that the leper breathed out was unclean. People with leprosy had to live away from their family and their friends. They could no longer hold their children, celebrate holidays with their families or their friends, worship in a community like this. Couldn't laugh with the people that they grew up with. Lepers were obligated to pronounce or publish their own calamities wherever they went. They had to announce themselves. And the people would turn away or they would flee, probably out of a combination of fear or abhorrence. And while the dead were mourned, the lepers, they were discarded. And in this pain, two groups of people, Jews and Samaritans, that for generations been at odds with each other, they forge a bond. And as Jesus comes towards town, and wherever Jesus goes, there seems to be a crowd that follows, 10 lepers see him, and they start to approach but they still keep a distance. You ever done that? You kind of want to be part of something, but you know that that you need to keep your space. 
And I'm sure there were some in the crowd that were thinking, what are these guys doing? The audacity. It was bad enough that as a result of their sins, they they were lepers, but why don't they understand their own position in our community? They were supposed to be shouting, unclean, unclean. But instead they call out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Didn't they understand that they were outcasts? Didn't they understand that they were unclean? But when you have nothing to lose, when that's your life, and you see someone like Jesus that can heal you, all that repetitive rejection that hardened their hearts, they'll let that go for a moment of hope. Because maybe, just maybe, I can be transformed if Jesus accepts me. And by Jesus accepting, he exposes everybody, not just the lepers, he exposes everybody to a life-giving message. He challenges everyone to think and consider what it is to be part of the kingdom of God. When everyone else runs away from lepers, Jesus stops. He doesn't turn his back on them. He engages them in conversation. I wonder, what exactly is the right place? What exactly is the appropriate phrase? or realistic expectation that outcasts in our own world are allowed? What are the marginalized in our community supposed to do to get my attention? What has our society done to train them to do and say? Or I wonder if we simply have silenced them as a church through years of neglect. I don't know if the Samaritan was welcome in the audience of the priests. But this morning, the pressing question for me is, is a Samaritan, is a leper welcome here? The Samaritan humbly went before Jesus, his master, filled with gratitude, a gratitude that allows us to encounter everyday epiphanies, epiphanies that transcend our everyday understanding and change how we view God, how we view ourselves, and how we view each other. I'm convinced that Jesus came to open up new possibilities, new realms, new domains, new territories where the Spirit can work, where everyone can be welcomed. For the kingdom of God is not a place of fear or exclusion. It's a place of 
inclusion where everyone can come. Everyone. A Samaritan, a leper, you, me, all welcomed, all cleansed, all healed. So I'm left to wonder this morning, does the kingdom of God include everybody as an insider? Or will some still be on the outside? If you read magazines or you talk to your coworkers or you just watch the news, you, you recognize that Christians are often perceived as divisive, judgmental, exclusive, because we've failed to understand ourselves how shockingly inclusive Christianity is, how shockingly inclusive Christ is. But Jesus warned about the possibility that people might not always be part of the kingdom. In Matthew 18:3 he says, "Unless you become like a little child, you shall not enter the kingdom of God." So the possibility unfortunately is real. The kingdom of God that is available to all can be missed by some. We have spiritual lepers in our own communities the marginalized, the ostracized. We all probably know some in our own lives that we interact with. Lepers in our community can include racists and bigots that have private conversations recorded. Those with alternative lifestyles, the unemployed, those that honestly struggle with faith and countless others. You may have been left out because of your social status, whether or not you have children, which letters you have before or after your name, whether your house is behind a gate or in an apartment complex. I wonder this morning if we can pledge as a church family that will look beyond those social benchmarks and welcome all people as God's beloved. Can we recognize that hurting people hurt people and be a church that welcomes outcasts, people that Jesus would have stopped to engage and give new life Now, I'm not naive enough to think that this is easy. It's challenging. But we can walk this path together. And Paul gives us some counsel on how to do this. He has five qualifiers, five things that he wants to make sure that we understand before he's talking to us. And so this morning, I want to invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, and I'll be reading for the message. 
And if you answer yes or the affirmative to these five things, then Paul's talking to you. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. If, he says, so this is not for everybody, if you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ. Okay? So if that's you, just raise your hand in your mind. The second qualifier, if Christ's love has made any difference in your life. The third question Paul asks, if being a community of the Spirit means anything to you. The fourth, if you have a heart. And lastly, if you care. So if you answered yes to those five things, then Paul's talking to you and me this morning. Then he says, do me a favor. And he has nine things that he asks us to do. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. And the last one, forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Again, he's not talking to all of us, only those that answered affirmative to the first five qualifiers. Spiritual maturity is the ability to see beyond oneself. Recognizing that we don't choose what happens to us, but we can definitely choose what happens inside of us. The lepers understood that. They didn't choose to have leprosy but they chose to believe that Jesus could heal them. One of the things that we try to teach our children here at Calamesa is the God perspective. You can have all sorts of perspectives of how you view life and how you view this world, but we want to teach them the God perspective. We want children to see what the stories in the Bible tell us about God rather than focusing in on what's happening to the characters within the story. I'll give you an example. Early on in the Bible, there's the great Exodus story. We all know the story about Moses and about how he goes before Pharaoh and he convinces Pharaoh to let God's people go. And it's so easy to to focus on Moses and all the things that Moses did and the interactions that Moses had and Aaron had with Pharaoh and the people 
But Moses is part of a history of movement of how God works in this world. And if we can teach our kids to focus on the bigger God story, then we recognize that it's not just God working in biblical times. We recognize that we are also part of God's big story. And so if we were teaching this to our kids, then we would teach that Moses is part of God's big story of liberation, of forgiveness and redemption. And for our story this morning, it's the story about Jesus loving those that are marginalized and left out. Because Jesus loves those that are marginalized. If I were teaching this to children today, I would tell them that when you are left out, Jesus loves you. It's a simple truth, but it's a powerful, life-giving truth. Some of us understand all too well the pain of being pushed to the margins. Some of us experience that physically, others spiritually or emotionally. Being pushed to the margins is painful. For some it happens at school, for others it happens at home or at work. Too often kids in school are excluded or marginalized because we live in a sinful world with hurting people. And these kids, they need to hear that when they're hurting and when they're left out, Jesus loves them. They need to hear the life-changing words from Jesus that says, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. I know many of you are already living this life, this life where you accept new life, that God gives and and you live out of that overflow and you're able to share that with others. And some others of you this morning may be looking for opportunities on, on how to do that. How to be part of this movement to ex- accept God's life-giving healing and to share it with others. And if you're wondering how to do that, and if you need an avenue to, to do that, then I'd like to offer you one possible way. Take a look.
On your way out this morning, if you're looking for a way to be a part of this, then there'll be tables set up and volunteers that are able to answer any questions you may have. If you have children that you know that you would love to be part of this, we invite you to sign them up as well. And if you're here, you may recognize that on Monday night of VBS, this story about Jesus healing the 10 lepers is a story that your kids will be studying and learning from. Because VBS is not just something for the kids. VBS is a ministry that goes throughout the entire church. Because our kids learn from what their parents and their grandparents and adults that they trust model for them. As the kids come, I hope that they will hear that when they are alone, when they feel left out, Jesus loves them. And come to think of it, I think that's a great truth that some big kids can be reminded of as well. Amen.
go now having a home in Jesus. Experiencing new life that he can give to you every day. Sharing that with those on the margins and being blessed. Amen.